Hello, Salim Omar here. Welcome to another episode of the e-commerce Money Map podcast. I am joined today by a special guest. His name is Chad Megilski. Chad, welcome. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Awesome. Looking forward to this. And I'm also joined by my co-host, Shaw. Shaw, welcome. Hey, everybody. I'm really excited for this one, Salim. Cool. Awesome. Let's do it. So let me, a quick background on Chad, and he's got a pretty amazing resume, but very quickly, and I'll then ask Chad to share his backstory with us. Chad created an e-commerce business, a pet supplies company that he based on the needs of his two adorable but gross French bulldogs, Brock and Beast, with just $3,000, and he got into the million-dollar sales run rate in about 12 months by donating a portion of the sales he was able to fund the surgeries of a bunch of pets with cancer, which did a lot of good in the world and also exploded the organic reach of the brand. Chad sold his business, his seven figures, seven figure business in two and a half years uh, since the first time that he uh, made his first sale. And he invested the profits well enough that he was able to semi-retire and enjoy the life of freedom and travel. And he now shares his story, his message with other e-commerce business owners. Chad, I am so delighted to have you. Why don't we start off with perhaps you sharing with us your backstory? How did you come up with the idea for your first product? And how did you know it was going to be successful? Again, thank you for having me. Thanks for the introduction. Yeah, I, I built a pet supplies company based off, like you said, my my two French Bulldogs, um, Brock and Beast. I kind of found out about this business model just from listening to podcasts like yours. I, I don't know how I stumbled across the first podcast, but I, I was was a realtor previously and didn't love the realtor lifestyle of people having my phone number and calling me at all hours of the day and all of that. So I, I somehow came across, I was probably looking for you know, how to create a business or something. I came across uh, different podcasts. Uh, there was a guy, uh, really smart, nice guy. His name's Kevin Reiser. Uh, I don't think he has a podcast anymore, but back in the day, he had a podcast called the Private Label Podcast. And it was just all success stories of like normal people who have something they're passionate about, create a brand around it, and, you know, can can make much better money than you can in, in almost any other career. So something about that intrigued me. And, and I would go for walks. You know, I'm here at my house in Michigan. And I'd I'd go for walks in the woods out there and just listen to podcasts and and have this mindset like, hey, if all of these other people can do it, there's no reason I can't do it too. You know, and I think that's an important mindset for anybody listening to have like other people's success is just proof that you can do it too. It is evidence of your future success. So when you internalize that mindset and think like hearing other people's success stories is just motivation and proof that it can be done, then you get that mindset of, okay, if, if they can do it, why can't I? So I knew I wanted to create some sort of e-commerce brand. And when I say e-commerce brand, I want to clarify because I don't mean drop shipping. I don't mean wholesale, you know, just, just searching, you know, Amazon and, you know, Jungle Scout and all those things for products you can source and then resell. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about building a, a true brand, a coherent product line. Mine was a pet supplies company and building a, a true brand. So when I learned about doing that, I didn't know right away that I wanted to do something based on my pets, but it became clear pretty quickly that that would be a, a great fit for me because I, I just, I love my dogs. I'm one of those 
fanatic, crazy dog people that, you know, normal people probably make fun of. You know, I talk to my dogs in weird voices. My wife does too. It's like, you know, it's, it's ridiculous, but that's just who we are. And I think it's more fun to build a business when you are yourself, your, um, your target market. You don't have to be like, I use this example a lot. Like I, I know a guy who's in his mid thirties and has a skincare brand for women over 60. It's like, you don't, and he's very successful. You don't have to be your target market, but I just think it's more fun. So I wanted to build a business around something in my life. You know, I'm big into traveling and, and all that too. So I thought about that, but I was sitting on the couch with my dogs, we're watching TV and they're cuddling up on my chest and they just had disgusting breath. And I was like, these things, these dogs are so cute, but they're gross. And like, so that became an idea for a product. It's like, okay, I want some sort of breath freshening, dental care. You know, also like dental problems is, is something that causes dogs to, to die earlier than they should. Like it's a big problem. If, if you don't address any of your dog's dental needs, they're not going to live as long as they otherwise would. So that became a, an idea and that became the first product in, in a brand um, of products. I, uh, my brand only had six products when, when we sold and we were able to sell for, for seven figures just because we had a strong brand based around six products that all sold pretty well and were all targeted exclusively to you know, like fanatical pet parents that think the pets are the part of the family and not an animal or not just an animal. So when you have a very clear audience, uh, a very clear person you're selling to, and you speak to their beliefs and address their needs, it becomes, I don't want to say easy, but, but fairly simple to create a brand that really resonates with people. And you mentioned the, the charity thing. Yeah, we, we did, um, uh, we can get into a whole, how we did this strategy wise, but you know, we would donate a portion of sales when, when people would send in a photo of their pet with our product that they purchased we would donate part of that sale to basically a gofundme account for an individual pet with cancer so then we could you know show that our customers like hey it's not just oh we donated to charity it's like hey your purchase directly helped this dog named brutus whose family can't afford you know his vet bills for his cancer like you're legitimately helping this specific dog and that was a really powerful thing that did a lot of good in the world. I felt good about, but also like rallied people behind our brand and made it share or made them share it with their friends, uh, leave us positive reviews, all, all that good stuff. So yeah, that's probably a little long winded, but that's, that's kind of the background leading up to um, the brand. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, we're going to unpack it. So you mentioned, you know, the pet supplies, the pet industry is a very competitive industry, big players in it. How were you able to make your brand and products, the six products different. I'm sure there was already stuff out there in the marketplace yeah. with bread, bread stuff and so forth. How did you, I mean, beyond what you say, was there anything else that you did to kind of stay, uh, stand apart from your competitors? Yeah, so it's kind of like a two-pronged thing because you, you differentiate, or I, I differentiated based on both branding and the individual products. And I think it is important to do both. Like branding... Yeah, I'm still under NDA, so I can't actually say my brand's name on here, but you know, I'm sure if you Google my name, you can find it. But our, our brand name itself was like excluded some people. You know, we were very much the brand for fanatical pet parents that think of their pets as part of their family. And if you don't align with that message, we we're very clear mm. we're not the brand for you. You know, like if your dog is living in a doghouse out in your backyard, don't buy our stuff. We're not the brand for you. 
So I think it's part of that was in the charity mission too. Like we, we differentiated on a brand level from just the generic, you know, pet brands out there. Cause there are a lot of, there are a lot of pet brands out there, but a lot of them lack heart and personality to be frank. So we, we differentiate on the brand level, but then on a product level, it's important to find a difference in the product as well. Like our, our first product I mentioned was a, a dental care product of some sort. Our biggest differentiating factor there was, was an ingredient. There is a lot of the dental products out there have grain alcohol in them for pets. And that, you know, a lot of people say there's been some studies that that can be dangerous for your pet. So I was pretty adamant that we were going to source a product that did not have that. And then we went hard in our marketing that like, Hey, because pets are part of the family, we need to keep them safe. We want to take care of their breath. We want to do it in a, in a very safe way that's going to prolong their life and all of that. So we went hard on the ingredient. You know, we had another product that was a, a shampoo. And we talked about the scent of that because we, I, I spent a lot of time finding like the best smelling dog shampoo we could get. And then it was like an, an oatmeal shampoo that was an anti-itch oatmeal shampoo. So we went hard on the marketing of that as like a niche product, like anti-itch oatmeal shampoo for dogs with allergies and, and great smelling. But it, was, it wasn't marketed just as a generic dog shampoo. But the time I sold my company, even though we marketed to this, this niche group, by the time we sold my company, my dog shampoo was, I think, the number one ranked thing on Amazon if you just search dog shampoo, not anti-itch allergy, just overall dog shampoo. Because we marketed so specifically to a specific group of people, they bought all in and then they brought the rest of the market with them. It's, it's similar to how, you know, a good example that you hear all the time is like Cliff Bar that you can get at any gas station. It's just a good tasting granola bar at a gas station. It's like the most popular granola bar you can buy, but it was marketed just to rock climbers. It's like all of their marketing is like, this is the bar for rock climbers, but they brought along the rest of the market later. So I, I think it's important to, you know, hyper target a specific person, you know, focus on their needs and they'll bring the rest of the market with them. Oh, that's interesting. Quite sure. Uh, yeah, I was going to say, it's really, really interesting to hear that, uh, you really have your buyer persona nailed down right from the get-go. If you don't nail down your buyer persona and know, know the who that you are serving and that your brand is serving, you get lost in the ocean of all these competitors. Like you've got to be hyper, hyper specific. You can't just be a pet brand or just be a travel brand or just be, you've got to be the brand for this slice almost, of people. Almost niche, niched inside the niche kind of. Yeah. And, and then, and, but, you know, leave your brand open to, you know, the, the wider market, you know, you don't want to completely alienate the wider market, but you focus on one group of people and serve them like radically. And then they will, they will grow your brand for you. Like a, a, yeah. a buddy of mine, like my, my business friend, you know, we, we built our brands together. We'd meet every Wednesday morning and for like a Skype thing and, and talk about growth of our brands. You know, I, I sold my brand a couple of years ago. He's still growing his, but like, he, he has a fitness company specifically for CrossFit athletes. And he, he created a, a weightlifting belt designed and marketed exclusively to CrossFit athletes only. However, fast forward a couple of years, he's the number one ranked weightlifting belt on Amazon for, for everybody. For like all type power lifter, whatever. Anybody who's searching Amazon for weightlifting belt, he's number one. And it's because he hyper-targeted a specific market and served them and did a great job with them. And then they brought the rest of the market with them. So it's just, this, this can be done. It's not, it's not specific to pet supplies. This can be done across, you know, any space. You mentioned right off the bat on this interview, 
that it's not just um, drop ship or, you know, wholesale, taking advantage of arbitrage on Amazon. I've always enjoyed private label and it shows the power of having that dirt ground behind it because it's going to allow you to have something really whole that you can sell at the end, but as well target the right clients, the right customers. Yeah. And I'd go, I'd go beyond just calling it private label. Cause if you just slap your own label on the same crap that anybody sells, like it's that's not a recipe. You've got to have a differentiating factor and an audience. You've got to have a strong, like narrowing down your who and who, like that niche group you're serving allows you to build an outside audience specific to them, whether it's a Facebook group, email list, some combination of all of them. Like you want to have a strong audience that you can utilize to launch your products, to get recurring revenue and things like that. So it's, it's private label plus a differentiating factor and a strong audience. Love it. What kind of metrics would you look at throughout the course of building this brand? What financial data, what specifics, uh, statistics would you look at in your business? Well, kind of all the basic ones are like cost to acquire a customer. I mean, that, that comes prior to you know, like when you're building your list in the beginning. Like, I think you want to have a, an audience as a foundation before you launch your first product, in my opinion. So cost to acquire a customer, lifetime value of the customer, obviously profit margin as far as like a direct sale, like on Amazon or you know, pet supplies company. So I also sold on Chewy.com, for example, and there are different profit margins per marketplace. It's not all the same. Like your Shopify store will have a different margin than your Amazon store, than your Chewy or, or any other third-party store for whatever niche you're in. Those are important. When it comes time to sell your brand, you want to know like what an ad back is. And for anybody that's not aware of that, ad backs are when it comes to valuating a business, they are there costs that you incur that you get to take out of what you call profit later. So for example, like, you know, I, I do consulting work now and, and help other brands like do what I did. If someone is to pay me, like that's a cost to them, but it doesn't affect their profit margin when it goes to, when they go to sell, because they add that back in because the new owners will not incur that same expense. Or if you go to a business conference, you pay five grand to fly somewhere, go to a business conference, your hotel, your car, your tickets to the conference, all of that. Those are expenses that you've got to pay for, but they, you don't deduct them from your profit margin. When you go to sell your business, you get to add those back in things like that. One big one-time fees, if there's a, a one-time software or one-time trademark or, or, or those kind of things are all addbacks. So knowing your profit margin for cash flow and knowing your profit margin for exit are different numbers. And that's important to keep in mind. And most people don't, don't really realize that until they're you know, going to market with, with their company. And then they go, oh, wow, I might be worth more than I thought, you know, because I have this additional profit that I, I thought was expenses. So those, those are all, all metrics to keep in mind. Shipping, obviously, if, <laughs> that'd be the other big one because that, that has changed so much. It's been a fluctuating nightmare for the last uh, you know, year or two. Um, yeah, the last couple of years. Part of profit margin. Shipping's got a bit crazy. Oh, yeah. You know, one of the things I talked about in a, in a recent episode was, uh, you know, I had a guest talking about exit. Chad, you, you heard the episode as well. We, we you know, we brief, we talked talk briefly about it. You know, it's beginning with the end in mind and yeah. the end in mind, meaning you want to exit out. Did you have that in mind when you started the business? Because there was a short, you had a short runway and you exited out. 
Yeah. So I, I can't say that I had the confidence on day one that, you know, two and a half years later, somebody's going to want to pay me over a million bucks for it. I, I don't think I had that confidence, but I, I learned pretty quickly within the first six months that this is from a book and I don't remember which book. So I wish I could remember this and, and recommend it to all your listeners. But the, the gist is like, you want to build a business that you can sell whether or not you think you will ever want to or could, because you have that option. And, and one, building a business that you can sell makes it a better business either way, even if you never sell it, because then you're more organized, you know your numbers better, you've got systems and processes that can be passed on. Like building a business, pretending you're going to sell it will make you a better business owner, will make your business more profitable. And it's just a good idea overall. Plus, it's always good to have the option to sell. Like you might love running your business, but then have some major life event in two years that changes that and you get burnt out or, or you want to have the option. Like if you love running your business, great. But if you have like in your back pocket, the option to pull out for somebody else to pay you seven figures, eight figures for your business, that's a pretty great thing to build, even if you don't have immediate plans to use it. So yeah, build it with an exit in mind, have systems and processes in place, know your numbers. And um, I highly recommend that. Yeah. And I tell you, Chad, I mean, having worked with so many entrepreneurs, businesses over my last 25 years, that is such an important thing is to really create a business that serves you. And no business owner starts a business and say, you know what, I'm going to become a slave of my business. And people fall in that trap because they're not thinking about how can they remove themselves? The goal is to remove yourself from the business. If you're involved in the day-to-day, you've, you've created a monster. <laughs> you know, you really have created a monster. And so that I love that mindset that you remind us of uh, is to create yeah. a business that's systematized, that can operate without the business owner. And then you've got a choice. Hey, you want to you enjoy the business. It's profitable for you. Keep it. If you don't, sell it. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, the, the kind of it's cliche at this point, but the, the adage is like work on your business, not in your business. Um, you work above your business. I mean, that's, you know, when, when you're just starting out, unless you have the funding to hire a team and outsource things like when you're just starting out, that's not going to be possible. But as you grow and scale, you try to remove yourself from that. You know, a lot, if you're building a business from scratch, uh, some of this work is front loaded. You know, you've got to, you've got to, the owner, the brand owner has to be the one that lays the foundation, sets the vision and all of that. And then you can bring in the team. You know, a lot of times if, if you have the funding, like I, I try to buy into the idea of, of the owner's model where like you set the vision. And I, I learned this from a guy named Ryan Moran. He's, he's a really smart guy as well. And he, he wrote a book called 12 Months to 1 Million that totally recommend buying and reading. But if you can be sit in the owner's chair, cast the vision for your business and bring in the right people to help put that into place, that's the sweet spot. That being said, like when I started my business, you know, I, I started it with three grand and, and did it all myself to start. But, you know, I, I still was working as a realtor at the time. I didn't pay myself a dime from my business until we were consistently doing 50000 a month in sales. And then I took a modest salary. And I didn't pay myself a, what I considered a good salary until we were consistently doing over 100000 a month in sales. So you invest back in the business to fund its growth and to outsource things. Like, I mean, I, I never ran PPC. That was the first thing I reinvested back in is I, I hired a PPC company to do that. So 
I would recommend that like the, the longer you can delay paying yourself in this type of business, the more successful your business is likely to be. So don't, don't quit yeah. your day job and go all in on a business tomorrow, like slowly transition into it. Yeah. Good advice. And, and great segue into talking about perhaps a few specific strategies, Chad, that you implemented to go from a six figure brand to a seven figure brand. Yeah. So going from six figures to seven figures is largely about audience, utilizing your audience and releasing more products to your audience. So I think it's essential to build an audience with your brand. Um, you know, I, I built a, a Facebook group and an email list of, of like, you know, pet parent, pet lovers, but you can do this in, in any, any niche. Um, there's a lot of ways to do it from, you know, running challenges to your audience. A big thing that we did was, uh, and I mentioned this already in the interview, but the, the charity thing, like we had a mission, we wanted to fund or help fund the surgeries of a hundred pets with cancer. So we would put that like as an insert with our packaging, like, Hey, send in a photo of your pet with the product you purchase and we'll donate, you know, to this individual pet with cancer. So I had a VA and what they do is like, if you have a dog and you bought, you know, my shampoo or ear cleaner or whatever, and you send in a photo of that, I had my VA get a photo of the actual dog that we're donating to create a collage of your dog and the dog we're donating to. And in this pretty collage, email it back to you and say, Hey, thank you so much for your purchase. Your dog, you know, Brock is helping this dog beast or those are just my two dog names, but you get the idea. And everybody was like blown away by that. And those people then that would grow my audience, but then those people would share that on their social media feeds. We'd get a lot more people joining our Facebook group or email list just because they thought that was so cool and buying our products. And then, you know, when you go to release the next product with an audience, you can just launch to that audience. But the strategy that I used a lot is I'd say, hey, for the first hundred sales, let's say we're going to donate everything. And this is you know, short term loss. But for the first hundred sales, our goal is to fund this dog's procedure as, as fully as we can. So first hundred sales for this product. 100% of the profit is going to fund this dog surgery. And we do that. And while we would, you know, lose the profit on hundred sales, we more than made up for that. Cause what that is when we launch on Amazon, then you get all this keyword relevancy, you get a strong launch, then you get all these organic sales that more than make up for that very, very quickly. You might not have the budget to do that on your first product. I didn't, I didn't do that until product two or three, but that, but you mentioned going from a, not going from zero to six figures, but going from six figures to seven figures, you do things like that. You build the audience, you utilize the audience, and you launch more products to that audience and let the audience help bring the rest of the market by boosting keyword ranking on Amazon and, and bringing in um, more organic buyers. On that same topic, that growth from the six figures to the seven figures, did you have any holes in your systems and processes? Was there any setbacks you had and hurdles you remember having to jump over? Um, I don't know if I'd call this like a, a hole or a whatever, but where, where I dropped the ball, or if I could go back and do this again, or what I advise my clients on now is I did not do a good enough job email marketing. And I, I should have just hired an email marketer to consistently keep my list engaged. I did a great job of bringing people onto my list. And we had the charity angle and then, you know, all, all of that. We had fantastic first interactions, but my email marketing, other than product launches, basically consisted of just 
occasional updates on our charity mission. It's like, okay, we funded this dog surgery. We funded, and like, that's good. But I, looking back, I, I hit myself for this. Cause like, how did I not just hire an email marketer to send out, you know, an, an email or two a week? Like I, I dropped the ball on that. I'm mad at myself for it. So yeah, that was, you know, if I ever build another brand or the brands that I advise and consult for, you know, I say, Hey, don't feel like you have to do it yourself. If it's not your strong suit, because that, that's what I did. Email marketing wasn't my strong suit, so I just didn't do it. You know, like if you're bringing in enough money, if you're if you have a six figure business, you can bring on a copywriter. Doesn't need to be a full time employee, but you can outsource copywriting for for email. That was my biggest gap, I'd say, or, or hole in, in my business. And if I could go back, that's something I would have definitely done differently. What are some common mistakes you see other e commerce businesses as you advise them? coach them, consult them. What are some of those mistakes that you see that are like, you just want to quickly, you know, if you can quickly go over yeah. them, say three yeah. common top mistakes you, you see that they should have, they can avoid. Shiny object syndrome is, is a big one. I was talking to a guy today that, you know, I, I sent him a, I sent him a Facebook message with an idea of like, Hey, you could do run this 60 day challenge for your brand. And he's like, Oh yeah, that's, that's awesome. But my problem is like, I want to do that and I want to do this and I want to do this and I want to do that. And I feel overwhelmed and I do nothing. And it's like, that is such a common experience for people. If your listeners are not familiar with the 80, 20 principle, I'd say like, learn that 20% of what you do will bring 80% of your results. And and that is important. So focus on the 20%, put the other stuff on the back burner. Like your, your job as the brand owner is to focus on the things that are going to move the needle the most. So don't allow yourself to get, distracted by trying to do everything at once. Like if you're building a Facebook group as your audience, like you don't also need to build your YouTube channel, your TikTok, and and all this other stuff at the same time. If you have somebody else on your team that can do that, great. But like, I don't know if anybody watches uh, the office, but like don't don't half-ass a bunch of things, whole ass one thing. You know, like I always thought that was a, a great quote, like focus on something do a good job at it and don't worry about every shiny object syndrome. Like there are the real pillars of building a seven figure brand is define your person, build an audience of those people, create a strong product with a differentiating factor, launch that product to that audience, rinse and repeat with the next product until you're at seven figures. Like it really is that simple. It's not, it's not easy. I don't want to say it's easy, but it is a simple plan to follow. So don't allow yourself to get distracted by too many things. Like I know people with six figure brands that are doing really well on Amazon and that's bringing in 90% of their sales. And they're like, okay, now I need to, you know, get into retail and I, and they spend all their time trying to do it. And it's like, no, stop, like focus on what is working, scale that when you can afford to outsource to someone else who can handle getting you into retail, maybe look at that. But for now, like focus on what is working, scale and grow, keep it simple. 80-20 principle, and, and you watch your, your business grow. Such great advice. Great reminder. 80-20 principle, a phenomenal book written by Richard Coach, K-O-C-H, is the 80-20 principle. And I, I read it like, I don't know, 15, 20 years back. I was like, man, this guy, you know, I really got it. And it was so powerful yeah. when I started looking at my life and my business from the 80-20 principle. Just what you say, Chad, 20% of the effort, 20% of the results come from 80% of the results for the thing come from 20%. Find what that 20% is that's yep. predominantly leading to more profits, better results. 
Yeah, two, two other books that I'd throw out there for your listeners to read. One is uh, The One Thing by Gary Keller. You, you might just watch a 10-minute summary on YouTube of that book. The, the gist of the book is like, it's, it's kind of the 80-20 principle, but just a little more extreme. It's like focus for every day, focus on the one thing first that makes everything else either easier to do or altogether unnecessary to do. And like, so don't, don't start with the shiny object stuff. Start with the one thing that makes everything else easier or unnecessary. And another book that I'd highly recommend is Profit First. And that is just a financial foundation for your company. And then there's a sub book called Profit First for e-commerce sellers. I'd recommend both of those. It makes it so much easier to run a profitable business and to know your numbers and to grow in profitability. So those, those would be two other books I'd, I'd throw out there for your listeners to, uh, to listen to or, or read. Yeah, that's awesome. Man, this interview, this uh, our time is really flying by. We are to the tail, at the tail end. I've got a couple of questions and show you can chime in if you've got a, a question you want to throw in as well. But the one question that I'm going to ask now is, what's the one question that we didn't ask you, Chad, that we should have asked you? Huh. No one's ever asked me that on a podcast. One question that you didn't ask me that you should have asked me. I mean, I, we kind of talked about it, but I suppose the order of things, you know, define your person is, is so important. Build an audience of those people, have a differentiating factor in your product and launching to that audience. I mean, that's, that's a foundational thing that I think we might've skipped over. So if you, I, I don't know if, if all of your listeners are already at six figures or if they're brand new starting out, but if you were to ask me like, what is the foundation of a strong brand? I guess that would have been a good question. And that's, that's an answer to that question. Yeah, that's awesome. Show anything you want to chime in in terms of questions? No, I don't. Good stuff. If listeners want to reach out to you, Chad, are you available? Are you accessible? And if so, yeah. how? Yeah, I mean, I, I, don't, I don't really have a formal website or anything like that. Um, I, I do some one-on-one -on -one consulting for, for select brands. And, and if you're interested in that and want to reach out to me, you can find me either on, on Facebook or LinkedIn. It's just under my name, Chad McGilsey. I'm sure you can put the spelling of my name in the show notes, but M-A-G-H-I-E-L-S-E. And yeah, just, just shoot me a private message. I'm very kind of informal with stuff like that. And, you know, if it's a good fit, we can, we can talk about uh, how we might be able to work together and, and how I might be able to help you scale and, and exit. And I, I guess the other thing would be like, if, if anyone is selling their brand in the next year or two, now is a great time to be able to do so while paying very little in taxes with disclaimer. I'm not a CPA, you know, this is not tax advice, but I was able to sell my brand for seven figures and pay very little in taxes where my more left leaning friends might not be happy about that. But uh, yeah, there, there are real estate bonus depreciation and all kinds of ways to save. So if you, if you're planning for an exit and, and want, you know, some advice or guidance with that, I, I can be a good person to reach out to on that. Again, not a CPA. This is not tax advice. Just what I was able to do with my exit. Yeah, no, totally. Totally. Good stuff, man. That's awesome. Great, Chad. This was uh, really informative. Really appreciate everything that you did, all the gems that you shared with us. Thanks, Shaw, for uh, joining us as well. And thanks all listeners for uh, tuning in whenever you do. Thanks for listening to the e-commerce money map podcast. If you'd like to hear more episodes, you can find them at ecommercemoneymap.com or on your favorite podcast directory. Don't forget to like and subscribe. If you want to learn more about the e-commerce accounting hub, visit ecommerceaccountinghub.com. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next time on the e-commerce money map podcast.